You're in the long-term business. We're not day traders. Real estate's not for day traders. At least I don't think it is. It's for investors. And Mike Milken had a brilliant statement he made to a class of mine many years ago. He said, the difference between a trader and an investor, if you're a trader, you need to know what's coming across the ticker in the next minute to make a lot of money. If you're an investor, you want to know what the newspaper says 10 years from now. And that really kind of captures it. And so what I said to a friend who was getting a little crazy about, is the interest rate going to go up? And maybe we, and the GDP goes down by a quarter of percent. So, and I said, you know what to do? Put on horse blinders. You don't blind yourself. Don't cover your eyes. But you know, there's a reason they put horse blinders on so they don't get distracted by irrelevant stuff. And there are times when we need to put blinders on. A lot of the times we don't need it because things are steady enough and it's enjoyable. But there are times where you just want to focus on what matters. That's what my number one message to people. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be joined by the legendary Peter Linneman again today, the world-renowned economist of Linneman Associates, one of the greatest individuals that I know, one of the most impactful individuals in this space, someone who has made tremendous impact across commercial real estate space for so many years. And in fact, for nearly 45 years, Peter Linneman's unique blend of scholarly rigor and practical business insight has won him accolades from around the world, including the prestigious PREA's Grassump Award for Real Estate Research, Wharton's Zell Lurie Real Real Estate Center's Lifetime Achievement Award, Realty Stocks Magazine's Special Achievement Award, being named one of the most 25 most influential people in real estate by Realtor Magazine, and inclusion in the New York Observer's 100 more most powerful people in New York real estate. Should I go on and on? I don't need to really do much to really describe who Peter is, but I can tell you that the list goes on and on and on. And today's episode is fantastic. You're going to learn about the Great Age Reboot and why a, an economist like Peter co-wrote this book that is all about cracking the longevity code to be younger tomorrow, what that means for you as a high-performing real estate investor, as a high-performing father, mother, brother, son, friend, professional, leader? What does that mean for you individually? What does that also mean for society? What does that mean for the economy? What does that mean for markets moving forward? Because as we play in this long-term game of commercial real estate investing, we need to know where are things going? Where could things potentially be going based on innovations and in, in science, innovations in technology, epigenetics? This longevity concept is the next disruptor. That's what Peter and his co-authors have really shared and really given tremendous research and resources towards. So when we understand this, it's amazing how it can give us breakthroughs, not only in our own longevity, our own vitality and living well beyond 100, but we can understand, well, how does that 
that impact investments? How does that impact the compound effect of our own investments, not only from a financial perspective, which is tremendous, right? This is not linear. This is exponential. So what we're talking about today can make you so much money. It can make you so much, you know, lifetime years of fulfillment. And uh, there's just a lot of value in today's episode. So I'm going to encourage you to buckle up and get excited for this tremendous conversation with Peter Lineman. I am your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Just so we're clear, Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. And it's time to take it to another level. Are you ready? Let's go. It's time. And before we dive into the conversation, I want to remind you to share this episode with a friend. All you have to do is pay it forward to one person. That's the fee. Just share this with one person. Send it in a text message, email, social media, whatever you need to do to pay the fee, whether you've done that in the past or not. We ask you to do that today. It's the only way we can grow. And uh, we're so thankful for that. I'm so excited to be back again. I'm just I'm just going to keep saying it because you know we had a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, We had to put the team back together. We had to put some processes and procedures and all these things back together. There was a lot of crazy stuff happening in my personal life and in our business and all great stuff. But now we've rebooted. Man, this is crazy. I just realized we just we have rebooted Elevate and we are back and uh, we're better than we've ever been before. So I just want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for riding with us, riding with me and this team and this movement because Elevate Nation, we are here together and I love you. I appreciate you. I'm so excited about this. And without further ado, I just want to invite you to buckle up for this, this really life changing. I mean, truly, this is life changing stuff in many aspects, in many regards. So I want to invite you to buckle up for today's conversation with the great, the legendary Peter Lineman. The great Peter Lineman joins me again. Peter, how are you, sir? I'm well. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. It's always a great day when I get to spend the afternoon with Peter Lineman. And uh, you and I were spending a few minutes catching up before the show. And man, I just admire your zest for life. That's the first thing. First of all, I love your joy. I love your energy. I love your passion and your intellect. And I think that those are some clues. But man, tell me what has been going on with you because you've just written this book, The Great Age Reboot, which is a bit of a sort of sidestep from a lot of the work that you've done over your career. However, I think it all makes sense when you kind of dig into it. So tell me a little bit about why you wrote this book with your co-authors called The Great Age Reboot. So like a lot of things in life, I think one of the undervalued skills in life is curiosity, intellectual curiosity. And yeah, you have to be smart. Yeah, you have to work hard. But curiosity and the willingness to act on your curiosity is an important thing. And yeah, sometimes it'll lead you down a little blind path, but you're smart enough to recover from that. And sometimes it leads you to great paths. Well, this book falls in that. My dear friend, Albert Ratner, who's 94 at this point, called me and said, we need you to write this book with us. Mike Roizen, who's head of wellness at Cleveland Clinic, kind of a legendary guy in the study of medicine and longevity, and I, and we need your help to do it. I well, what, what do I know about genetics and people living long and so forth? And they said, well, you know a lot of economics and you know how to make things intelligent. And I kind of, to humor a friend, and because I was curious about hearing about the modern genetic stuff from an expert, I said, okay. And to be honest, 
I figured the book would never get written. We'd have five or six meetings, but I'd learn, right? Well, here it is. You know, there's the book. I read more genetic material, medical material than I ever dreamed I would have greatly expanded me, greatly broadened me. I think I was a major contributor. I mean, Mike obviously did the hardcore medical stuff. We kept pushing him. We, why is that? What if we did? And I'm just, you talk, you know, elevate. I'm elevate from that experience. And in one sense, I think it's a very logical evolution. I've taken on lots of different things over the course of my career. I admire people who do it. Yes, this involves a lot of economics, as you see, and it has a lot of real estate implications, although that would maybe be the topic of a future article. But if you live longer, there's going to be more people. And if there's going to be more people, you need more houses. You need more goods. They're going to be through warehouses and shopping centers and so on. Huge implications. And if our estimates are right, over the next 30 years, we're looking at a 1% population growth rate each year in the United States, as opposed to maybe a 40 basis point growth per year. Huge difference. And these people are going to not just be older, they're going to be healthier. And I said to you as we were talking, I mean, imagine at the age of 85, you have your vigor, your muscle tone, your energy, your intellect, and all that experience. The productivity is staggering. If you're going to live 20 more vital, 30 more vital years, you're going to work at least five of those, 10 of those, because why not? And by the way, you want to pay to have a great life later. Well, if you think about the normal person today works 40 to 45 years, working five to 10 more years means you're increasing your lifetime productivity, your lifetime output by 15 to 30 percent. My God, I want to be around and see that. Right. And I think it's very exciting. So in that sense, it was totally an unexpected path, but also the curiosity, I think, is all three of us, all three of the authors are very curious. And, and I think it linked this up as hopefully people will enjoy it. You know, there's such a clue when it comes to the curiosity piece. I mean, I think that every listener can take that in their own direction. What are you most curious about? And allow yourself to sniff that path. Maybe it might it lead to a dead end, but perhaps it leads to something great, some, some contributing factor to society, contributing factor to your future self. And when I think about the Great Age Reboot, I almost think about it in two different senses when I think of your work and the work that you put forth with your co-authors in two senses. One sense is the future sort of capitalistic uh, endeavors that real estate investors can capitalize on if your projections are correct, if those population increases as a result of tremendous longevity increases across macro, you know, sort of societies across whether it's the United States or across the world. Obviously, there are real estate implications for investors. In addition to that, there are implications for individuals. So why should people care and be excited about the expansion of human lifespan? When you talk about living beyond 100, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, wait a minute, if I, why would I want to live beyond 100? I mean, I'm just going to be old, decrepit. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to think. I'm not going to be able to move. Why would I want to live beyond 100? I'm sure you have something alternative to say to that. But tell me, what are your thoughts there? You don't care about age. You care about condition. I don't mean just you, all of us. We don't care about it. I'm 71. I care about condition, not chronology, right? And there's some correlation. Suppose I told you, you have all the vigor, all the energy, all the muscle tone that you have today. 
when you're 100. You want to live at 100? Of course. Suppose I told you, okay, you may not have all of it, but you've got 95% of it when you're 100. You want that? Of course. What none of us want is 30 more years on our deathbed. But that's not what's likely to happen. The analogy is like an automobile tire. When I was young, an automobile tire might last 7,000 miles, get bald and blow out. Today it goes to 100, 150,000 miles, but it's not running on bald from 6,000 until it blows out at 150. It's good tread in between. And the reason you want to do to 100 is because you're going to have, quote, good tread, great tread. And it's important for people to kind of understand what, why we say reboot. You've read it, but when we just figure out the genome, it's a whole different world of what we can achieve. And for example, would I like at 71 to become half my age in terms of getting back muscle tone more easily, getting uh, recovery times faster physically, et cetera, et cetera, right? Of course, but I'd like to become 35. They've done that to dogs. They've taken dogs that are essentially in the last year of their life, genetically modified them, and they have the energy and vigor of uh, a puppy. But they have their full memory. They have all those experiences. You go, that's a reboot. Another example, and there's many of them. There's 14 areas of major research. They're all not going to happen. But some we haven't even talked about are going to come up over those three years. The other one is the health problems and the expenses that we have in our society relating to blood pressure issues, diabetes, obesity-related complications, et cetera, they eat up about 14% of GDP, 14% of GDP. Imagine we could genetically get rid of people getting overweight. I mean, and you say, well, no, they've done that. They've done that to mice. They've done that at a number of institutions to three different species. Well, there go a whole bunch of medical problems that could save, what, 7% of GDP, 10% of GDP. That's one and a half to $2 trillion a year that we would save if we could just get rid of excess fat. And you go, I know what I'd like to spend some of that on. What would you like to spend some of that on? And so how does it relate to the economy and real estate is what would you do? if suddenly you had another one and a half trillion dollars in our economy and you get your share of it or society get, and you go, my goodness, you know, it's mind boggling what it could achieve. That's like $5,000 per uh, household. I mean, it's, it's a stunning amount of money that you get to take another vacation or buy a this or buy a that. That's why it's exciting. Not to mention you have better health. So we've all had friends who have high blood pressure and they don't feel good. And we get that as a bonus, if you will, right? So how can you not be excited about it? That's real elevating, right? We have the opportunity to really elevate. The reboot, it's one thing to have a chip, microchips, great breakthrough. Computers, great breakthrough. We're the thing that invented chips. We're the thing that invented computers. You give me an extra 20 years of productivity, I'm going to invent something else. I don't mean me personally. I mean, we are going to invent, I don't know, 
uh, something that will resolve global warming or temperature extremes or, 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 or. So that's why it's such a dramatic thing is we get the most productive thing in society. Most productive thing is not the internal combustion engine. We created it. That makes us much more important in that regard. Human ingenuity, you know, really is kind of the, the cornerstone of the benefit here for society. And you think about, I love your phrase that you guys put in the book and said, longevity is the next big disruptor. And if you think about it, it's a cornerstone disruptor for everything. And if we give ourselves more vitality, more longevity at scale, then we're talking about this ingenuity playing out at scale, which then obviously has all of these other cascading benefits. And one of the other things that I've found to be really insightful and really kind of brings this concept to life deeply is, well, wait a minute, if by 2030 or sometime in the 2030s, 90 is the new 40? Well, wait a minute. Now we're talking about a whole new paradigm. I mean, that's unbelievable. Could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. When I was a young guy, I know it seems like it was a long time ago. And I grew up in a manufacturing neighborhood, manufacturing towns, smoke and soot and polluted water. And people were spent, physically spent by the age of 60. If they were still alive, they were spent. Now, we don't live so much in that world today. We're not spent necessarily at 60 or 70. However, a lot of our medical issues do complicate us. We start waving this genetic wand and get rid of some of those and get rid of some of those. What can happen to society? Take a couple. I, I already mentioned the weight, the getting rid of fat. What's that do to Weight Watchers? What's that do to gyms? What's that do for ice cream stores? If I can go to ice cream stores, eat as much as I feel like eating and not worry about putting on calories. What's uh, people living longer do to senior housing? Because if, as you say, 90 is the new 45, how many 45-year-olds do you see going into senior housing today? That means that whole industry, you have a whole lot more people alive and vibrant and earning and shopping and all these things. Suddenly the social security problem disappears. The Medicare problem disappears in the way we're talking about. What do we do with that money? You, you just kind of start going, wow, it's kind of mind boggling what it can do. And then we almost glide over the obvious. And I'm with my loved ones. And I get to meet more loved ones over my life. Let's face it, one of the saddest things in life is losing loved ones too soon. There's not many loved ones that you don't wish you had an extra 10 to 15, 20 years. There's some co-workers maybe, but not loved ones. Who wouldn't want 10 to 20, 30 more good years where you're both in good condition with your loved ones? That's, I mean, it is, it is the ultimate disruptor to think about how you're going to do with that. I'm picturing another 50 years of these conversations together, Peter. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking about. I'll wear you out. Yeah, I, I'm ready. Wear me out, man. And, you know, I think about all of this and it is very exciting. But from your vantage point, when you think about the science and the technology that's revolutionizing our ability to live longer, to live healthier, to live better, to live younger, essentially, what is it that's most exciting to you? And what do you think is most practically realistic? Well, I think lots of it is realistic. When you first hear it, it's like science fiction. And then I 
reflect on the fact that going into World War I, if you had a stomach puncture, you were going to die because they didn't know how to do stomach surgery. If I have a 100-year-old friend, a very dear 100-year-old friend, I call her every day, and her sister died at the age of 13 in the early 1930s because she got a scratch from a rose bush that got infected and there was no way to stop the infection. Well, 10 years later, you give a little penicillin and no issue. And that is just as fantastic as this. I gave you another one in a different field. In 1976-77, I'm finishing my thesis at the University of Chicago using an IBM 370, the most powerful computer, you know, that there was rooms, you know, filled with this machine and so forth. Four years later, I've got a home computer that is more powerful than that machine, right? It wasn't like University of Chicago wasn't at the frontier. It's that that's how fast some frontiers can move. That's what's going to happen, not in everything, but in some things. And particularly with related to, I think, um, uh, regenerating cartilage, I think controlling fat, I think increasing muscle density and strength over time, all these. And the reason is because we point out this phrase self-engineering. When I started the book, I just assumed that our genetics were determined at birth, right? We all hear about our genetics. And it is true that when we're born, our genetics are given to us. What's not true is that they're etched in stone. You control about 80% of what happens to your genetic through diet, exercise, relationships, stress management, etc. And 20% basically you can't control, but it's not like you don't control a lot of important ones. Why do I mention it? Two reasons. One is you've got to self-engineer until the cavalry comes, because wouldn't it be terrible that you died of high blood pressure? right before the genetic modification came that takes care of it, all right? That would be a tragedy. So you need to self-engineer so that you're around when that time comes. But it also is important because it shows that genetic engineering can generate longevity. We know this. There's lots of data on stress management, weight management, exercise, et cetera, et cetera. And all we're talking about with the genetic stuff is a different way to get there, right? Uh, I can't avoid eating the ice cream, so I'm going to get the fat. So we're going to find a way to get rid of the fat genetically. It's truly remarkable. But I use the ice cream example if you think about it. When you start thinking about some of the ramifications of this stuff, you go, yeah, I hadn't even thought about the ice cream store example, right? You, of course, I hadn't even thought about, I hadn't even thought about, I hadn't even thought about, right? And there's a lot of haven't even thought abouts that this will bring about. For example, suppose you can genetically modify so that you don't need cataract surgery. Well, there's a whole industry that, or suppose you regenerate cartilage. Well, I've got two hip replacements, too late for me, but not necessarily for you. Well, there's a whole lot of hip surgeons and all those facilities for that that are going to be challenged. It's remarkable when you really start thinking about it. It's mind-boggling, truly. 
It really is. And, you know, honestly, when I look back and you think of the lifespan and, and it was really an interesting uh, dialogue that you shared in the book about the lifespan that we had or, or human beings had and, you know, sort of the 1900s and 1920s and the 1940s, and you can see how it's kind of changing, it's growing and it's compounding and you're seeing how it's not linear, but now it's become exponential. Whereas, you know, the 1900s, you're looking at what, like 37 is the average lifespan or something along those lines. And the numbers are stunning. You have to agree that numbers of life expectancy. I'm doing this from memory. Albert Ratner is 94. And I think when he was born on that day, his life expectancy was something like 52. When I'm born in 1941, my life expectancy as a male was something like 64 years. And not only am I alive and healthy, I think at 71, but 70% of the males born in 1951 are still alive. And it just shows how it's changing. Now imagine that gets kind of exponential for a while. It's just stunning. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. One of the things that I think is interesting and one of the things we talk about so much is you know setting goals and having intentions and so forth. And when you think of the average life expectancy, I think people, whether they are conscious of it or not, they have this belief about how long they will live. So I'm curious, Peter Lineman, how long are you going to live? I believe you always have the hit by a bus phenomenon, right? So, but I believe I'm going to live probably to about 100. Remember right now, statistically, my life expectancy as a healthy 71 year old, I think is like 80 males, like 85. And I think it's going to give me about 15 more years. And of those 15 more years, 13 of them are going to be high quality, could be extremely high quality, but I think they'll be high quality. Now, I do a lot of self-engineering. I do a lot of exercise. I try to watch my diet perfectly. I try to, I'm pretty good at stress management and so forth. But yeah, I think I live to about 100. I got blessed. And I mentioned this woman, Lucille Ford, who's 100. She's 100 and a half. And pretty terrific. She lived independently until two years ago really independently until two years ago. And she worked until she was 92 and truly inspirational and drove home to me. You're only as old as you let yourself be or horrible things make. I mean, obviously, horrible things can do to you. I'm not trying to suggest that you can mind over matter cancer, right? That is not the one of the things she said to me, and I'm finding true 
She said, you know, my most productive years of my life were after I was 65 or 70. And, you know, you can imagine when I was your age and I kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, a piece of work. And you say, okay, but and then I'm getting there. And the last five years of my life have been as productive as any period of my life, if not more so. Well, and if you think about it, it's like what we believe about ourselves tends to be how we act. It tends to be how we behave and how we interact with our environment. And while it's not necessarily, well, we think and then we become, but it's we think we act and then we become. And if you're only as old as you let yourself be, well, that's a thought that we can apply across the board. You're only as wealthy as you can be. You can be only as successful as you let yourself be. And if you think about that, I think that that's a pattern that is very true across the board. Well, I think you're right. I think a lot of people settle for mediocrity. It's one thing if you're mediocre. I mean, statistically mediocre. I was a statistically mediocre basketball player, but I always tried to be better than statistically mediocre, right? And I worked on the things that I could really improve. And I played until I was 53 pretty competitively. And so if you're mediocre, it's okay, but not uh, how should I say? You used a good word. Don't let yourself be mediocre. You know, challenge yourself all the time. Now, sometimes mediocre is as best as you can do. Sometimes below mediocre is the best you can do. But come on, there are times when you can do so much better than mediocre. And you just have to challenge yourself to do it. And I always find it interesting. I, I pretty much lift weights every morning. Not big weights at this age, but I really an hour. I do real weights. If you saw it, I think you'd say he does a real workout. And people say, well, it's easy for you. It's easy for you. Well, I've lifted weights for, I don't know, 52 years years or something like that. And I can promise you, it's not. It's not easy. It's just what you do to live an energized life, right? And I think and elevating your game and being energized and all those great things. Well, and I think that those are things that lead to you being able to give your greatest talents to the world and your greatest insights to the world to be able to look at complex data and say, well, here's what I think about it and help people make better decisions as investors, as professionals. I mean, obviously, because you challenge yourself, you're able to bring that to the world, you know, that's a pattern that I've seen from some of the greatest performers is that, hey, it never gets easier. You're just willing to engage in that challenge on a more regular basis. And you're willing to embrace that discomfort somewhat. And I think that's true. And it's like a lot of things when you make, quote, it a habit, a life part of your life, it's not easier, but it flows easier, right? If you're used to thinking through complex data, if you're used to, by the way, thinking about complex data was mind-numbing, right? And it still is mind-numbing sometimes, but you're used to it. It's a process. You you build a set of tricks, if you will. You build a set of, oops, I've seen that pattern before. And I, I think you're right that it, that you, you need to just challenge yourself to elevate yourself. When you're in the thinking world, you know, in the physical world, it's do one more rep, walk an extra 15 minutes, you know, in the intellectual world, it's make yourself think it all the way through. Does that really make sense? I know everybody's saying it, but does it really make sense? And it's surprising how often it does. I'll give you one of my, probably my favorite. Every morning I read the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, and wherever I'm at, local newspaper while doing crunches, okay? I mean, it's crazy, but that's what I do. Done it 45 years, okay? One of my favorite things is they will say something 
something like, this chart shows such and such. And I'll look at the chart and it doesn't show that at all. And you go, well, it's obvious it doesn't show that. It's not like I'm a genius, but you had to actually look at it, focus on it. And you say, they say, okay, such and such happens and this goes up and such and such happens and this goes up. And you look at the chart and that goes up and it goes down and that goes up and it goes up and that goes up and it goes down. And you know, there's no, I mean, that's nothing. And people don't challenge that, right? They just kind of accept it. One of the great little tricks I've seen, I, I don't do this well. One of the great little tricks back in the day when we did math in our head is you kind of go, I'll, I'll give you how it goes, but I don't do it well. One plus, you're in front of a group and you say one plus one is two and they all go, yeah. And two plus two is four and they all go, yeah. And you go five times five is 25. And then you say something like there are 42 billion people in the world. And they all sit there and they nod their head. And that's because they figure, well, he knows one plus one. He knows two plus two. He knows five times five. He must know there are 92 billion people in the world and not stop and say, well, no, not really. Right. You see that in financial performance where people will show ancillary income and then you'll say, well, what's the ancillary income? And they'll say parking. And then you do back of the envelope. And it would have to be everybody paying the maximum rate uh, 365 days a year, but coming in and out and paying it four times, you know, and you kind of, it can't happen. And you just go, how do they let that pass? So, yeah, I mean, just challenge yourself, elevate yourself. And if you have, I was, I really have been blessed by great role models in that regard, mostly that were older than me, right? Where you kind of saw and say, they didn't quit. They didn't quit. They stepped, stepped up, stepped up, did something different, did something original, I don't claim to be as good as they are in that regard, but I learned some lessons in that regard. I like that. I like how it's, um, you know, it's, it's challenging your body, but it's also doing some mental gymnastics on a regular basis so that you are prepared to see the inconsistencies and, and not fall into the cognitive bias of, well, yes, you're correct. Yes, this is correct. And yes, that's correct. And then, oh, yes, some ridiculous assumption is also correct. It's being willing and, and able, you know, to to notice that and recognize that, well, wait a minute, there's a cognitive bias. I've been lulled to sleep and this is not correct. I'll tell you one of the things I, th this is a, a kind of little secret. You know, you'll read something like 60,000 drug deaths, you know, 60,000 heroin deaths, terrible number, horrible. And then I automatically calculate how many is that an hour? I don't get a calculator out. I do it in my head. I, it gives an image, if you will. And by the way, sometimes you get, I'm not taking the drug as an example. Sometimes you get just stupid answers. You know, it's not right. I'm not doing it out to the 14th decimal point. I'm just kind of getting around how many it is. I find it a good mental exercise that when you see these big numbers, national debt, okay, well, how much is that per day? That's not such hard math, right? I mean, just say it's 300 days a year. That makes the math easier, right? Move it two decimal points and divide by three, right? You can do these things. And it makes you check your own thinking. It makes you go, oh, yeah. And sometimes, by the way, it also makes you go, oh, it's not such a big deal. And so I'm not a skeptic. One of the things on, we just had this new, I don't, I'm not a political person. We just had the new Inflation Reduction Act. 
right? And first of all, I think I'm going to rename Lineman Letter. I'm never wrong. Because if we're going to do truth and advertising like that, Lineman Letter is I'm never wrong, right? And this is not about, they name all these bills are kind of crazy. But let's assume everything that they hope happens in terms of the environmental. And what's the odds of that happening? But let's assume it does. As far as I can tell from the people who have actually crunched numbers in models, and they are just models, it's like a change in the temperature trend to like uh, the sixth decimal point of a degree. Well, Okay, that's useful to know. You could argue about whether we should do it or not, but it's useful to understand that we're not talking about it's going to be three and four degrees. It's like the fifth or sixth decimal point. And that gives you a little different view on it to focus on. And those aren't my models. That's just the kind of exercise. That's super interesting and super powerful to just go a little bit deeper, question assumptions and really dig deeper. But Peter, I want to transition a little bit. I want to switch gears. I want to talk about this next market cycle that it seems like we are starting to navigate in many regards. I mean, obviously, one of the big sort of front page news headlines is, oh, you know, we're not in a recession. Uh, You look at the last two uh, GDP prints and you know, we've got two contractions back to back for, you know, the previous two quarters. But talk to me about how would you be navigating this or how should commercial real estate investors be approaching this next market cycle, you know, from a high level? When you take a look at the landscape, what are some of the biggest risks, the biggest opportunities that you're seeing? Okay, so first of all, we're, if we're in a recession, give me a whole lot more recessions. Industrial outputs growing like three and four percent. We're adding 2.7 million jobs over seven months. Sales are at all-time highs for retail sales. Profits are at all-time. Yeah, so if this is a recession, this is what I want. You know, so and I'm not quibbling. I'm just saying you have to kind of grasp now. Having said that, what I've been saying to friends who are investors and real estate people is don't get distracted by shiny objects. Don't let things that seem important distract you from what really is important. And as species, we do that all the time, right? I mean, as a species, we constantly are distracted by things that seem important, but they aren't that important. So what do I mean by that? All the energy that your listeners are putting into, what's the Fed going to do next? Now, these are real estate people who are probably going to invest and hold it for at least three years, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe even 20 years. I promise your listeners that when you look back 10 years from now, the success or failure of that real estate will have nothing to do with what happens to interest rates in the next six months. Nothing. Or that's not quite accurate. Mathematically, okay, interest rates a little higher, you pay a little more interest. But there are so many other things that are going to happen over that 10-year period of time. Just think of the last 10 years. Think of the last 10 years and imagine you were fixated in 2012, which people were, on will the Fed raise rates and are they going to raise rates? The things that happened over those 10 years swamp. And if you have a bad piece of real estate, they're going to get swamped. If you have a good piece of real estate, you're going to work like hell and it's going to be. So what do I mean? I'm not saying ignore. Of course, you're, you you should pay attention to stuff. Let's say the economy goes into a pretty bad recession. I don't think it will, by the way, but let's say it goes into a pretty bad recession and GDP drops by two and a half percent over the next year. Okay. That's what it did. Excuse me. In 2009, 
That's what it did. Okay. That's what happened to GDP in 2009. If you held on for 10 years to your apartment investment, your warehouse investment, you did quite well unless it was a terrible property. Even though the day after you bought it, GDP fell by two and a half percent. And all I mean by that is you're in the long-term business. We're not day traders. Real estate's not for day traders. At least I don't think it is. It's for investors. And Mike Milken had a brilliant statement he made to a class of mine many years ago. He said, the difference between a trader and an investor, if you're a trader, you need to know what's coming across the ticker in the next minute to make a lot of money. If you're an investor, you want to know what the newspaper says 10 years from now. And that really kind of captures it. And so what I said to a friend who was getting a little crazy about, is the interest rate going to go up? And maybe we, and if GDP goes down by a quarter of a percent, so and I said, you know what to do? Put on horse blinders. You don't blind yourself. Don't cover your eyes. But you know, there's a reason they put horse blinders on so they don't get distracted by your relevant stuff. And there are times when we need to put blinders on. A lot of the times we don't need it because things are steady enough and it's enjoyable. But there are times where you just want to focus on what matters. That's what my number one message to people would be. And I agree with you 100%. I mean, it is absolutely a long game. And, you know, there's a lot of the short term noise that, you know, you get, if you get caught up in it, you, you know, the opportunity pass you by. I believe that as long as you can hold through the long term, as long as you can weather those type of storms, you will be successful. The other side of it is, you know, short term challenges, you know, in whatever regard can create those opportunities. So whether we have a severe recession, no recession, a slight recession, you know, perhaps there's going to be opportunities on the horizon as a result. And can you hold through and can you weather that storm if you have a severe recession? And to that point, you asked, what would you suggest? to listeners, don't overlever. Make sure you're around on the other side of tough times and be active and reactive to what's changing. Um, for example, one of the things that was funny is I look back on the creation of the Wharton Real Estate Program. You know what the best thing that ever happened to that program probably was, was the 1990-1991 crash in real estate. You say, how can that be? You had no donors that were able to do much. You had no, you know why it was the best thing? There were a bunch of other programs that were trying to get off the ground. We stayed with it. We doubled down. We went really lean. We innovated and we stepped forward as a thought leader at a time when everybody else was falling back. And was it painful and difficult? And Of course, that's what you're paid for. What I noticed is that when I went to Disney, I paid them because it's fun. And when it's challenging and difficult, I get paid. So, I mean, and so people say, yeah, but it's a lot of work. And you go, it's not as much work as your ancestors did going down in a coal mine, you know, or you don't get black lung from what we do. That's right, man. Well, Peter, what are you most excited about here over the next decade, uh, whether it's within your own business? Um, I know, obviously, within the great reboot and all these exciting things that are coming down the pike or just, you know, sort of the economy in general, because I feel like you're just this type of guy who just looks across the landscape. You love the analysis. You love questioning these assumptions. You love seeing all of this play out. But, you know, if you were to point to something that you're most excited about here over the next 10 years, 
dollars. What is it? I like apartments, not fancy schmancy, just apartments. I like them. If I'm right about the reboot, we're going to have more population than people think. We're going to have more population, but we're going to have even more than we think. We're doing a lot of opportunity zone investing. Why? Because you have to hold it for at least 10 years. And I like the notion that I'm going in knowing that I have to hold it at least 10 years strategically. That turns me on. If you said, and by the way, think about it. I just told you I'm 71. So if I'm making an investment today as uh, the lead person and I've got a carried interest and so forth, I got to be around 10, 12 years from now, right? To kind of harvest it. I don't want my estate to be harvesting this. I want to be there. So what I'm really excited about is staying excited and staying engaged. The other thing is I'm very excited. One of the things that happens as you get to some modest level of success and you understand yourself and your own priorities a bit better, which I've done over the last probably 10, 12 years, is you understand where you want to try to help others and how you're going to try to help others, whether it's charitable or with among your friends and family. And I've been blessed to be able to have a pretty good impact. I mean, I'm I'm not changing the world, but I am impacting some lives, I think, positively, both family and some of the children in Kenya and here in Philadelphia and so forth. That's I'm looking forward to that. What a blessing to be able to assist somebody. I have this view. It's a good question for your listeners to do an honest answer to. Is it better to receive a gift or give a gift? Now, if you're six years old, you know the answer, right? At some age, my experience tells me, and it's not like I don't like to get a gift, but giving a gift is so much cooler. And the impact, even I don't mean just big gifts, giving a gift is really a cool thing. And as we get older, that's one of the luxuries we have, whether it's our wisdom, whether it's our time, whether it's our capital. So I'm looking forward to doing that. That's all cool. Peter, you've given us another gift today, my friend. Thank you for giving us the gift of your time, your expertise, your energy, your passion. And I love that when I asked you what you're most excited about, you're talking about my business, apartments. You're excited about apartments. And uh, I love that. I love to hear that. And, you know, one of the things I'll just I'll do a quick plug is that for our company, CF Capital, our mission is to elevate communities together. And it's almost like you give this gift of not only investing and, you know, receiving a return on investment, but you give the gift of greater quality of living greater standards, you know, for your residents, for your staff, for the community surrounding, for investors that participate alongside us. So anyway, I just wanted to say that because I thought that that was really cool. But man, stay excited. You're making me excited more and more, Peter. So let's keep this conversation going. What do you think? My pleasure. Thank you a lot for having me and hope everybody has a great day. And I hope we live to see each other on the other side of 100. Absolutely. That sounds great. That is a challenge that I would love to accept today. Peter, until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on Elevate. Thank you. Bye-bye. Elevate Nation, Peter Linneman, the great Peter Linneman of Linneman Associates. You can find Peter at LinnemanAssociates.com. Of course, he's got the legendary Linneman letter uh, that you can sign up for and and really learn about his insights uh, on the economy. And he is one of the most highly regarded economists on the globe. And so it's great to have a great friendship with him and have some fun with him and bring him on the show to hear what he's thinking about the Great Age reboot and how he is reading the 
the tea leaves as an investor and as an advisor for investors across the world. Man, that is that's valuable stuff. So I just want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. You are going to find that when you re-listen to the podcast, you're going to find new insights, new distinctions, new takeaways. So I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because number one, repetition is the mother of all skill. And by the way, sometimes our mind doesn't hear everything that it needs to hear. And also, it gives you the opportunity of learning and anchoring in that understanding, that capacity moving forward. So I want to encourage you to share this episode with a friend and have a discussion about this episode as well. What is it about the great age reboot that's exciting to you or interesting to you, or maybe you drew some insights yourself that you want to take forward, you want to apply, you want to ask about, you're curious about, by the way, that was a big distinction for me is curiosity, intellectual curiosity and the willingness to act on it is a big, big, big takeaway because obviously Peter would not have written this book if it wasn't for that. I want to encourage you to not only do that, but identify what are your top three takeaways? What are your key distinctions from this episode? And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about taking massive action. Be willing to act on that intellectual curiosity. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.